The following program is a presentation of Grand Slam Ministries. It is that time again. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Dan Scott Show. This is episode 60 of our venture, brought to you each and every week by our 501c3 nonprofit Grand Slam Ministries. I am Dan. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week, whether you're listening uh, on the Life FM or any one of our other affiliates. We're on over 30 radio stations over the air and eight internet-only affiliates two of them international. So wherever you may be, thank you for tuning in and thank you to each of our affiliates for continuing to carry this show. We've got a another good one today. You, you folks know my mode of operation. If I can talk Jesus and baseball in the same conversation, I am usually a very, very happy guy. We get to do that this week with a former big leaguer, now broadcaster for the St. Louis Cardinals by the name of Ricky Horton. Rick is uh, already in spring training. In fact, when we did the interview a couple of weeks ago, he was there before pitchers and catchers reported. About the time that this interview starts to air, we will be getting close to the spring training games actually beginning and the broadcast and all of those things. But uh, Rick is a, a very interesting guy. He's, he's got a player's perspective, a left-handed pitcher's perspective about big league baseball. But he has also been a very important cog in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes chapter in the St. Louis area. And we talk about that and the freedom that he has had to wear his Christian identity openly and publicly, even as a broadcaster for a Major League Baseball team. It's a really good conversation. You will hear it when we come back. But first, as always, a word about Grand Slam Ministries. Every day there are children who leave school on Friday and eat little, and sometimes nothing, until they come back to school on Monday. It happens in every community, including yours. Many of these children live in circumstances that deprive them of basic needs necessary for a quality life. At Grand Slam Ministries, we want to change that. We want to invest in our children, giving them hope for the future. That investment includes necessities such as food, clothing, school supplies, and a safe environment to play, to study, to live. Please visit our website, GrandSlamMinistries.org to find out more about our ministry and how you can help. We're just getting started. Will you come alongside us for the children's sake? Again, that's GrandSlamMinistries.org. Want to see a listing of our affiliates? Check out videos or listen to past shows and explore our archives? It's all available at our website, DanScottShow.org. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to this 60th edition of the Dan Scott Show. Brought to you by Grand Slam Ministries. This is normally the time of the show that I 
take an opportunity to remind you that if you uh, have missed anything, you want to catch up on previous interviews, find out where we air live on Saturdays and Sundays, catch all the archives and even bonus content, you can go to danscottshow.org and navigate to the Affiliates and Archives page, and everything is there. Of course, grandslamministries.org is a page at the Dan Scott Show website to find out more about what we are doing and the core missions that we are hoping to get funded by the time this year is up. And then, uh, as I said, just uh, anything that you may have missed or want to hear again or share with somebody, like last week's interview with Shane Pruitt, or anything that we've done all the way back to the very beginning in January of 2023. They are all archived at danscottshow.org. Let's talk some baseball and Jesus in the same conversation. We get to do it with a former big leaguer by the name of Rick Horton. He uh, pitched primarily with the St. Louis Cardinals. He was with the Los Angeles Dodgers in 1988. And if you know your baseball history, he was in the bullpen for one of the greatest moments in the history of Major League Baseball. Well, if you don't know what we're talking about, shame on you first, but we will let him talk about that as we move forward. He's also big in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and has been for a long, long time in St. Louis. So very excited about this conversation, which took place just about two weeks ago, right before pitchers and catchers started reporting for spring training he and his wife were already down there getting settled for the long haul and as we began the conversation we began talking about the fact that he was already in jupiter florida here's ricky horton yeah and i'm waiting for the warm weather to come too so it's i mean it's uh, cold by uh, florida standards but uh, i'm sure better weather than i've been dealing with in st louis so uh, yeah I, I i've always made a uh, kind of a habit my wife and I over many 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 years of going to spring training early I mean why wouldn't you I mean it's you know it's it's a fun time of year and I always like to kind of just come and get settled so we're a couple of weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting but you know that's part of our kind of uh, natural rhythm that we have year after year and why not if you've got the ability to do so and, and perhaps somebody else is footing the bill I don't know if that's the case or not but yeah you, you at least well, get a chance to go down there and have a little time Partially, part, part of the bill is mine, but and that was always that was true when I played too. Even back to uh, you know my years of playing uh, professionally, I always you know I read in a book. Um, it was actually in the book Ball Four, which is a bit of a notorious book that Jim Bouton wrote about kind of an expose book. But apparently there was or my, one of the things I remember from that book was a line from Whitey Ford is that. Uh, if you go to spring training early and get a tan, people will think you're in better shape. <laughs> so I took that one to heart and realized that there's something to that. I, I have read Ball Four, I can't tell you how many times, and I was fortunate to interview Jim Bouton three times before oh. before he passed. And I, I think there, there are two great lines of that book that I, I still reference today uh, usually during broadcast, and one of them is it's a round ball and a round bat, and you've got to hit it square. That's right. And, and the other one is that the world doesn't care about the labor pains. It only wants to see the baby. Well, I've got a couple of lines from that book that I remember, and and I, I don't remember those two being there. I certainly yeah. use those lines and know those lines, but uh, one of the things that Bouton says in the book is I spent my – uh, my whole life trying to get a grip on a baseball, and I realized it was the other way around. That was the last is, line in the original book. Oh, that's profound. And the yes. other thing, 
was a line that that I've actually used where he was uh, standing in the outfield shagging flies and he gave up a couple of couple of uh, doubles the night before and in, in one of the in, in his diary form that he writes that book in uh, a one of the uh, other pitchers came up to him and tried a baseball and looked was showing him the seams and he said so so how do you how do you hold your doubles <laughs> what he said, which which is a great line in that in fact you know I, I you know I, I think about the, uh, the the number of times I read that book I read that book Dan every year I went to College of Virginia as you and I've talked uh, earlier but uh, during exam week I read that book every exam week because it was a calmer for me in the midst of reading stuff about you know thermodynamics and physics and chemistry it's like okay i'd rather read something that is kind of a little bit uh, a little bit more benign so ball four became that for me so so how does a guy who's studying those subjects uh, also end up as a major league baseball player because that kind of we'll call it rocket science usually doesn't transfer to the baseball field well, it, it doesn't always, and I, and I and I wouldn't call myself. I, I'm a C minus rocket scientist. I would not go up in any. I would not go up in any rocket that I designed. Designed. I'll say. Let's say that. But, but, I always felt that baseball was my way to get to college, to get a degree, to get into my life. And and I and then I realized that again, it was the other way around. And so what my original idea was, was to you know to get a scholarship. I was one of the first of my extended family to go to college. I grew up in. Uh, in uh, central New York, actually southern New York, but but north of the city, and just felt that you know I, I was good enough at, at math to get into to get into UVA to to, to play, but uh, you know, but but I felt like long term baseball was going to just help me get this degree that I wouldn't get otherwise, and then and then somewhere along the line, I found out that people couldn't hit a curveball or a changeup very well, and you know I was not a, a, a I was drafted out of high school, but. Uh, but really not a hard throwing guy. And I would never be able to pitch today because you have to throw 95 and I would need uh, a hurricane behind me uh, to be able to do that. So it's not, that's not going to happen. But the, the point is I, you know, I, I, I didn't really dream of playing professionally until I had some good summer league experiences playing in both, uh, both Cape Cod and Alaska. And I just kind of got in there at the, the tail end of a team that needed a body and I, and I just I somehow I, I figured some things out playing against the best talent in the country. Well, we're going to talk about your baseball journey. We're going to talk about your faith journey. We're visiting with uh, former big league pitcher Rick Horton on this week's edition of the Dan Scott Show. When did you fall in love with the game of baseball? Oh, it was very early. My mom wrote in my baby book when I was two that I was going to be a ball player. So, you know, my mom, I'm not calling her a prophetess, but uh, she she uh it, baseball was ingrained in my family growing up my uncle had a chance to try out with the uh with the yankees and didn't do it because he was a little homesick and didn't want to go play so but he was a good player another uncle was a pitcher my mom a great athlete herself uh more of a basketball player than anything but but she was a very good athlete my grandmother the the uh, the, the the matriarch of my family was uh, a Cardinal fan of all things in New York because she saw Stan Musial play. So she loved baseball, absolutely loved baseball. And so I kind of couldn't, you know, couldn't kind of get away from it, even if I wanted to. But, you know, I just enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed the, and, and I still do. And I think here's the relationship between being an engineer and baseball. I think there's a desire for, you know, continuous improvement. How do I get this better? How do I make this pitch move more? How do I, you know, there, there's this re-engineering almost that happens uh, as an athlete and that, that, that 
And I don't, I don't know if I call it competitiveness as much as I just call it as, you know, seeking perfection right. uh, that, that I like about the game. See, as we're having this conversation, to me, you're breaking stereotypes because when I hear engineer, I immediately go to the Dilbert comic strip. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, they are part of the part of the part of the deal. So I actually had my, my degree was actually in systems engineering, which uh, I had a professor tell me that I was uh, capable of uh, solving multivariate nonlinear problems uh, and optimizing them. And I like I don't even know what that means, but I guess I can. So, it, it, but it was more it's more systems management, right. uh, which uh, you know I, I had to actually take some economics classes and things. So I mean, it, it was. Uh, it was more suited for me than some of the uh, the Dilbert stuff. Yeah, no kidding. Um, you, you mentioned Stan Musial, and of course, you, you your main part of your career was with the Cardinals. Stan Musial played two years of low class D minor league baseball in my hometown of Williamson, West Virginia, back in nineteen oh, nineteen thirty eight and nineteen thirty nine, and that's when he was a pitcher. Stan's one of the, and his greatest Stan was. That's cool. I, and I'd forgotten that he was a pitcher. Actually, I didn't remember he was a pitcher, but and I had a chance to meet him several times. Of course, he was always around the right. clubhouse. He and Red Shane being some of the kind of the 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 the, the, uh, the stars, the Cardinal greats, that the, the Red Jacket guys we call them. That you know were always around. Enos Slaughter, who coached at Duke for a bit, was uh, was one of those guys that was around a lot. Lou Brock, Bob Gibson. I mean, there was a lot of star power. But Stan was Stan was always thought to be the classiest of all you know great players and. You know, maybe underrated in some ways because he was not really big at, at, at tooting his own horn. Uh, but I, you know, I was able to uh, to send a photo of Stan and I that I took my first year or had somebody take my first year playing, sent it to my grandmother just before she passed during the 1985 World Series. She passed during that World Series, which is the first one I got to play in. And she got to kind of see this picture of me and Stan, her idol. Mm. And it was very, very cool to have that uh, opportunity. You know, Stan Musial has... A, a reputation for consistency and there's, there's nothing that points that out more than the, the stat that in his career, he had 3,630 hits, 1815 yes. at home and 1815 on the road. Very classic stand thing. I mean, yeah. And there's some great symmetry to that for the engineer mind too, but, but, but it does show, uh, you know, just how, I mean, that number of hits, just the number, forget right. the, the, the symmetry of it, but the number is huge. He could, he's a flat-out could hit. He wouldn't strike out either, which, of course, in today's game is not even a bad thing. As long as you kind of do some damage, you could strike out. But 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 he was playing at a time where the, the damage guys also put the ball in play, also had high averages, and, uh, yeah, he was quite a player. Do you like today's game? Uh, I, I like it is a better way to say it than love it. Right. I mean, honestly, I mean, I mean there's there's – some of the things that, that I love about baseball have been taken out for a lot of reasons. I, I mean, I think right now the best, the, the big league players to now uh, that play today are the most gifted physically players on the planet. When in my era of playing and before the players who played the big leagues were the best baseball players right. on the planet. And there's a, and there's a difference. And I think what you get now is you get the guy throwing 95 that, doesn't know where it's going. You get the hitter that's swinging as hard as he can and, and doesn't know how to hit the ball to all fields. Doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean again, it's not a, it's not a good, it's a good game. Yes. It's a fun game to be a part of. I'm glad I have the, you know, the, the, the joy of broadcasting baseball and I do enjoy being there, but, but is it, is it, is it as it's best? I would say no. 
right, well, let me ask you this, and then I want to take a, a turn to, to your, your faith journey. But in 2022, in the minor leagues, they instituted the pitch clock and, and the pace of play yeah. rules. And as someone who considers himself a quote-unquote purist, whatever that means or doesn't mean, I thought that I was not going to like it and uh-huh. it took it took about three games for me to figure out that I absolutely loved it because what it reminded me of Rick was watching baseball games from when you played your era. Yeah. And, and then I saw this stat that between 1950 and 1985 the average length of a major league baseball game was 2 hours and 29 minutes and something right. happened after that that got us to the point that it was taking forever to play baseball. So I loved it. It went into the big leagues, in effect, last year for the first time. What was your experience as far as, A, how do you like it, and B, did the Cardinal players that you associate with on a daily basis, did they like it? I think the players adapted very quickly. I'll answer the second question first. Honestly, and players do that. It is a game of adjustments. We say that all the time. You've said that a thousand times. Mm -hmm. I have, too. And and that was one of the adjustments, and they just figure it out, and they just do it. I mean, because – is if you spend time worrying about it and thinking about it and using it as an excuse and saying you don't like it, that's to your own detriment because it is what it is. So so, so I think that's the, that's the answer to the second part. I agree 100% with your thoughts. I was not in favor of it at first. I thought, you know, a baseball should not have a clock. Uh, but but I, I think it became the perfect repair for the problems that behave, that baseball had behaved themselves into. Mm-hmm. And and, and I think, you know, the, the culprit, the original culprit of this in my mind was, uh, you know, television and walk-up songs. I mean, it, it's like, and, and I, and I actually, if, if I, on the broadcast occasionally, I will, I will not call it a pitcher's clock. I call it a hitter's clock because they're the ones not ready. And, and the pitcher's not ready because the hitter's not ready. So, so if, if the hitter takes 30 seconds to get into the box and the pitcher can't, pitcher can't get a sign from the catcher until the batter's feet are set in the box. So, Everybody says, well, well, the pitcher needs to keep moving. Well, the batter's not ready yet. So you can't, you're going to throw a pitch based on where the batter's feet are. And is he up on the plate? And, you know, all kinds of other little nuances. Then the catcher gives the sign, which of course has been sped up now with, with Pitchcom, because that's the electronic uh, version of now calling, calling pitches. But, but the point is the, the end result has been better because pitchers have to work quicker. And that means they can't throw 100% max effort every time which is what, you know, the pitchers back in the day used to do is you'd find a way to throw a hundred pitches because you weren't throwing every pitch as hard as you can. Mm-hmm. Right now, if a guy throws a pitch 95 miles an hour in the first inning and he takes something off of it, throws 188, some, a, a trainer's going to come out to talk to him. It's like, what's wrong with you? And I mean, it's like, you're not, you lost seven miles an hour. And the answer used to be, I did that on purpose. And now it's, it's like a sign of weakness or something. Bob Forsh, one of my mentors in the game of baseball uh, used to throw something he called a BP fastball. And what he would do, it wasn't a changeup, but it was a fastball that was about four miles an hour slower. And he said it, and he would throw it when he was behind in the count. And it was incredible how many outs he got with it because guys would just jump at it. They'd mm-hmm. see it, they'd get over anxious. And I call that pitching. And now they would call it, I don't know what they'd call it now, but they, I don't think there's a great understanding of what Bob did. Yeah, there's there. I think there are a lot of throwers in big league baseball yes. now and not as 100%. not as many pitchers. Yeah, 
but not as many. There are there are a lot of them. I mean, yeah. it's not it's not an all or nothing thing. But yes, it's 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 less it's less that than it used to. be. Well, you know the the timing thing. Before we move on, um, four or five years ago, as as this was becoming more and more of a topic about the 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 pace or lack of pace in the game, someone had the the genius to overlay. Zach Grinky throwing exactly two pitches in the amount of time that it took to run the entire Kentucky Derby. And, and the videos were superimposed <laughs> on one another. And it takes, what, about two minutes and 20-some seconds or whatever the time is to run the Derby. And he threw exactly two pitches in that whole time. I saw an overlay of an inning uh, of baseball from the 70s or 80s, and, and, and that was overlaid with with pitching to one batter and having a two and O count or something. And the, and the whole half innings over. And I think, you know, the, the, I think the baseball did a good job. I think of hearing fans say, look, it's getting too slow now. I mean, it's yeah. really got to get, and you know, baseball shouldn't get jacked up and try to be the NBA and pizzazz. I, I think that's what baseball started. They went down the road of let's, let's profile our players and let's, you know, do this hip thing and let's get, you know, have them do backflips and, long dances and all that. And it's like, okay, well that doesn't work in baseball because it's not that kind of game. I mean, people are sitting there enjoying their, their, their hot dog and their popcorn and their grand grandfathers teaching them how to keep score. Mm -hmm. All that stuff should happen at a ball game, which can't happen at an NFL football game or in the NBA. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. And, and I, I think it's a misnomer to think that as baseball fans and speaking personally, I don't mind a three hour baseball game. As yeah, long as one. long as things are happening, but right. but but when exactly. when things aren't happening, and you know we're broadcasting minor league baseball in 2018 and 19 and and, and 21 when we came back from the pandemic, and, and it takes four hours to play a nine inning baseball game. That's just too long. I, I had a conversation with uh, with with Ali Marmol, the Cardinals manager, and Willie McGee last yeah. year because I told in, in Ali's presence, I said. Ali, anybody that watched 80s baseball would say that the most exciting thing in the 80s was a Willie McGee triple. Mm -hmm. Willie McGee was just – he was just an electric player, and he would fly around the bases, and it went the crowd went crazy. And they said, that's the best play. And he said, well, wouldn't you rather have a Willie McGee home run? And, and, and he said, well, Willie, what do you think? He said, well, I'd rather hit a home run. And I said, yeah, I'm not saying what you'd rather have if you're the player or the manager. I'm saying what the fans want to see. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you. I mean, of course you want the home run, but if you want to get a, a, a ballpark rocking and rolling, a home run doesn't quite do what a triple does. Right, exactly. And it's, you start stringing hits together in an inning. Right, and, and it, movement. Exactly. exactly. Rick Horton joining us. Uh, we'll talk more baseball in a bit, but I want to talk about your faith journey because you're big in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes uh, and always like to explore with my guests how their faith developed how they came to know Jesus as their savior. What, what, what was your life like growing up? Did you grow up in a Christian home? Just, just walk me through how, how you came to faith. I grew up in a, in a, in a, in a church environment, but it was kind of Christmas Easter and, and, and uh, maybe more than that, but not, I would not say that it was a, you know, wasn't going to church every week, wasn't reading the Bible, never had really done that. So, I mean, I had kind of a respect for faith, but you know, it, it kind of came into conflict as I got into, you know, my teen years, which, of course, as a teenager, you get a lot of conflict. But but it came into conflict a little bit with my idea of, of faith and reason. And, and you know, I'm kind of a this is the, the curse of the engineer that, that that thinks he's smarter than everybody else is, is I, I kind of felt that 
that faith was a weakness, not a strength. And so I, you know, I was exploring that kind of line of thinking even on into college and, um, and, and I would not, I'm not sure if I would have called myself an, an atheist or an agnostic or, you know, it would have been maybe too disinterested to even think about that. But I had my faith really came uh, in, into being through a lot of, it. of course, it's God's providence always. It's, it's how God works and, and, and it's all about him and not about me. But he did use teammates of mine, mm-hmm. several teammates of mine uh, who started to become friends of mine and they were all Christians. I mean, I was just inundated with them in the minor leagues. I was playing Little Rock, Arkansas. And, you know, our, 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 our center fielder, our left fielder, our right fielder. And yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch of guys and they were all like my friends and they had something different. And uh, they gave me a Bible for the first time, invited me to Bible study. And, and, and I just started reading it on my own. And what I would say is my faith journey took a big leap forward when I literally started reading God's word. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, it's not what people are telling me about it one side or the other. It's what the word is saying to me. And as I was reading it, I realized and with the Holy Spirit at work that this is, this is really God's word. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, and, and I, that was where my faith journey started with, was, was the Bible. I actually had a instance in the, that I was invited to come to a chapel and I only never really went to chapel and, and all of, I was maybe one of the only guys that wouldn't go. And I was invited into the uh, chapel service and the, and the, and the guy speaking there who was, uh, uh, was a you know, local volunteer for baseball chapel said, you know, it, uh, does anybody know John three sixteen? I actually asked a question and I'm like, and I was forced to kind of go to this because my buddies and I'm like, Oh man, I didn't know you had to question an answer here at this thing. I don't know what <laughs> John three sixteen is. So so the guy next to me stood up and he, and he quoted the verse, John three sixteen, mm-hmm. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So, so, and then he sat down and the guy that stood up and said that and said that was our 11 year old bat boy. So wow. for me, for me, the humility of that moment to realize that this kid knows something that I don't know and is firm about that and is bold enough to stand up and say that in bunch of future big league players. And I'm sitting here with the guy that's clueless, I, you know, at the humility, you know, it, it's humbling to realize that, you know, God is God and you're not. And that's kind of what happened there. And that, that bat boy BJ I've been in contact with over the years, he's an athletic trainer and I, we, he, he get, reached out to me on Twitter and, and I was able to share that moment with him kind of directly and, and pretty, pretty cool thing. But those, those teammates of mine were, were so instrumental. Andy Van Slyke, Jim Adusi, Jerry Johnson, Larry Reynolds, guys that just just cared about me. Mm. And, and and ultimately, we all have to come to that that decision that is Jesus who he said he is, or as Billy, yeah. as, as Billy Graham used to say, if he's not, he's a liar or he's a lunatic. And we all and we all have to make that decision, even if we don't phrase it that way. And and for me, that decision came late in life. I was 45 when I finally surrendered my life yeah. to Christ. But uh, we all have to get there at one point. Well, well, I think I think God realized I needed a lot of apologetics at that moment. So <laughs> those four guys that I mentioned all represented different angles of looking at that. Andy Van Slyke had been a guy that that frankly I didn't like very much. We're both New, we're New Yorkers and kind of caustic, and I thought I was smart, and he thought he was hip, and I, and we just didn't get along. And then. He, so he was the evidence of a changed life to me. I called my girlfriend, who is now my wife of 41 years, 
who was back in college. And I said, I'm hanging out with Andy Van Slyke. She said, you're doing what? You're hanging out with that guy? And I said, you did, you guys don't get along. It's like, well, yeah, but he's different. So there was something about him. Uh, Jim Adusi was a friend to me and never, and, and he was a bridge builder. So he was th that apologetic of, I'm not judging you. I'm welcome. I'm, I'm caring about you. Mm -hmm. I'm loving you, essentially. Larry Reynolds was a Stanford graduate and gave me the Bible for the first time and showed me in 1 Corinthians that the wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. And God confounds the, the wise with their own craftiness. I mean, it's almost like, okay, I can't miss that one. I mean, and so I, I got the that apologetic. And Jerry Johnson was an older teammate who already had three kids. One of them was deaf. And I saw him as a husband, which is unusual in double A back mm -hmm. in 1982. I saw him as a husband and as a father and as a teammate be uh, concerned about and care for people. And so I'm telling you, I just saw the whole gamut of the Christian life. And Jerry was the first guy I met with on the road that took out the Gospel of John with three or four of us and said, OK, let's go through this. In the beginning was the word. But what does that mean? And so really my first discipler was my 26-year-old teammate uh, who never made it to the big leagues, but he made a great impact uh, on my life. Yeah, it, it's it's just amazing who and what God will use. Uh, th this uh, episode, when it airs, will be somewhere in the neighborhood of, of episode 61 or 62. So We've been doing the show for just a little over a year, but in that span, Rick, we have had five different atheists on, former atheists who've mm. come to Christ, three of them cultural yeah. Jews, and, and a couple yeah. of them oh, wow. couple of them high profile, who I'm sure you've heard of, yeah. Jay Warner Wallace and, and Lee Strobel. And, and, yeah. and just to hear what you're saying about how God got to you and, and to think mm -hmm. about those other stories and what God did. There's no, there's no one method. He will, we know there's one way, there's one way and that's the cross, but there's not right. one, there's not one method he will use to get somebody well, to the cross. Well, my, my work, which eventually, you know, when baseball was over and I tried coaching for a year with in the minor league, loved that, but, but wasn't ready to, 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 to chase all the, the travel that that entails. And, and, and I took the, uh, took the position as director of the fellowship of christian athletes in st louis which I, I i was the main director for 25 years i'm still involved with fca but for 25 years doing that i found out just what you said because you encounter everybody so outreach is my heart mm -hmm. I, I care about because i come from that i come from a person that didn't know anything people cared about me and and helped lead me to the cross so i feel like that's you know I, I think there's there's places for people to learn, you know, Christian leadership or, you know, discipleship. And, 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 and of course, everything's discipleship because we're learners. But but I love the outreach part of that. I like to 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 to, to have conversations with people that are just on a on a different different side. I had a conversation with a with a fellow TV worker for the uh, Cardinals and, and he, he was on the plane with me and he and he was he's shared this publicly so i'm okay with saying this but we're on the plane and and he he made the comment to me which people which christians hear a lot he'll, he'll say well this is you know you christians think this you christians think that so he called me you he said it like three times on the plane and i said i said well wait a minute i said you keep saying like us christians believe this what what do you think i believe is what i asked him what mm -hmm. do you think i believe 
And he said, well, I, you, you think that you're in a club that I'm not in. You're better than me. You know, God, God loves you and he doesn't love me, blah, 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 blah. And he goes through a bunch of things. And I said, well, if I have given you any indication that I believe those things, I'm sorry, but I don't believe any of that. Mm-hmm. I don't believe anything of what you just said. And then I did something that a broadcaster who, you know, spends his, spends his life talking a lot. I don't do I don't do this very well. I didn't say a word after that. I just sat there. And I waited and I waited and I waited. And then finally he said, so what do you believe? And then I was able to share the gospel with him. And I said, and I tell you what, even better than me telling you, I'm just going to give you a Bible. So I gave him a Bible and I said, just start reading it in John. And so, so he reads, he reads the Bible, starts reading the Bible. He comes up to me a week later and says, I've been reading this for a week. And he says, I got it. I got it. it it's about love. It's about God's love for us. And, and I said, you're doing great. Keep going. He's, he's a dear friend of mine. I mean, he was a dear friend of mine before because mm-hmm. we were sitting on the airplane and did that for years together with as, as, as broadcast co-workers. But, but for him, it is just a, it's just a joy to be a part of the, you know, kind of the other side of that, of mm-hmm. not judging somebody because they're not there yet. And that's, that's again, the way I'm geared. Yeah. It, it's really cool when you can see somebody go from saying you Christians to we Christians. Yeah. We Christians. And that's what he did. Well, with this first line to me, and, and I, and I gotta be careful about what I say here, but he used an adjective, which is not ever used on your radio show. But right. he said, he didn't say it's, he didn't say it's about love. He said, it's about adjective love. Right. And, 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 and I, I, I think, you know, my, my response was still just as joyous as if he would have said it without that adjective, because mm. the adjective didn't matter. The right. heart is what mattered. And and I think, you know, uh, that's part of, again, what I've kind of learned through FCA is that, you know, people of people of sport. I've got a friend in FCA that says that I live at the corner of I love sports and I've been saved by grace. That's that's where I live. I live right at that corner. And it's like, what a great <laughs> I love it when he says that I live at the corner of I, I, I'm saved by grace and I love sports. I love and it. so, uh, you know, you're around people that you have a connection of sport with, which creates a conversation and a common thing to understand. Sports is not the most important thing in the world. I'm not saying that, Mm -hmm. but if people are interested in it, it becomes a bridge of conversation. And then as the gospel is introduced to that, how do you compete as a Christian? How do you compete as an athlete in a godly way? How do you do that? Mm -hmm. How do you coach in a godly way? I mean, Christian parenting and youth sports, what should, you know, where, what are some good principles there that have to come from some being theological here from some outside other Francis Schaefer was somebody I, I read a lot of um, his, you know, his writings, all, I mean, I think I read every Francis Schaefer book and all of the apologetics that came along with it. And he likes to talk about, you know, you don't get to decide what's true and what's not. There has to be an outside other that is, and, and that's God, that's God's imprint on our lives, imprint on the world. He's the creator. He's the designer. Uh, and so he gets to make the rules, essentially. And so to, to point people to the outside other at some point is, is uh, again, it's, it's, it's meaningful and it's, and it's a great journey and, and it's always fun when it happens. We, we live in a society today that doesn't want to hear about Christ. It doesn't want to hear right. about faith. Right. And you, you're a very public figure uh, on a much larger stage than I am. Do you get grief? Uh, for for being public uh, about your faith, I mean, your employers how how do they handle yeah. that? Well, it's a, it's a great question. I'm, I'm thankful that the Cardinals, the Cardinals have actually several times because when they hired me to do radio, and I've been 26 years now being involved in either radio or TV, 
you know, they've never given me any direction about what not to say. And if anything, I had one of the bosses along the way that said, you know, you could probably bring things up a little more about who you are. And, and it's like, I just, so I, I mean, I don't, I won't say, you know, um, there's a, there's a base hit in the right field. So let's turn to the uh, third chapter of John. I'm not <laughs> going to say that, but, but you, you always try to be salt and light in what you do. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of uh, ads and there are a couple of things that go on at the ballpark that they always turn to me to do baseball writers dinner. I always pray at that because they, nobody wants to do it. So they ask me to do it. And I try to do that respectfully, uh, but, but still genuinely. And, and there's a couple of advertisers that are, you know, have Christian causes or, or even really just, you know, he gets us the Christian thing that's out there that, you know, they want somebody to be a part of that. And we have Christian family day at the park every year, this faith day. Mm -hmm. And they like me emceeing it, talking to the players, getting the players, and I've done that, you know, many times, 20 times probably. So the point is, I think they like that. Um, and have I gotten grief for it? Sometimes, uh, you know, and, and I'm, but, but not, it, it's not an overwhelming grief. I think it's part of living in the Midwest that, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of, you know, it, it's not, it's not so, if, if, if I was broadcasting on either, you know, either in, L.A. where I played or New York where I grew up, there might be a different story. But in, in the Midwest, it seems seems to not be much of a problem. Visiting with uh, former big leaguer Rick Horton. You you got to the big leagues uh, in, in 1984 and then went to the World Series in 85, 87, and then 88 uh, with the Dodgers. You, you had to think, man, this baseball thing is easy. Yeah, it's really easy. I was kind of getting used to that. I thought it would last forever, and I thought I would just keep keep making trips to go see the president and all that fun stuff. Actually, we only won one of those, so I, right. I did get to go uh, did go to the White House in 1988 with the Dodgers to to meet uh, Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan, which was a great, very cool moment in my life. And you know, he's just a man. They were just they're people, but but I want to say they're more important than anybody else. But certainly, just a kind of a neat experience. But you know, the World Series thing was. Uh, was more than I can ever imagine. And I think about the people that played this game that were really, really good players that never got to be in a World Series or maybe did it just once. And for me, just a, you know, I, I would say I was an average big league player, and I don't say that self-demeaning at all. Just the average big league is still still pretty good. But, I, you know, but I, but not not a frontline guy, but I did get a chance to participate in those World Series. And and, uh, and and see some very cool moments. Kirk Gibson hitting a home run off of Dennis Eckersley in 1988, one of the maybe one of the greatest mm-hmm. baseball plays ever. It's got to be top three or four. Uh, to be in the bullpen to watch that happen, pretty cool. And also to see Jack Clark hit a home run at Dodger Stadium in 87 off of Tom Needenfuhrer, that was a powerful moment in the call of Jack Buck and Vince Scully. I mean, and just being around those people, too, that's the other thing. So there's the moments and then there's the people. You know, there's the experience, which is the World Series. Mm-hmm. Then there's the moments, which is the Gibson home run. Then there's the people I got to be around. And I'm not sure which is more important of the three. I, I think I enjoy all of them. Do, do you find that as a former player now, what you miss the most is not necessarily the, the competition itself, but spending time with, with your teammates? There's no doubt. I mean, that's that, that's my kind of my stock answer to the you, you miss playing. It's like, no, I don't miss playing. I mean, playing is, you know, so as a broadcaster, I don't I don't wear the game. Mm-hmm. Game's over. I get to go move you know, on to the next my one. hands and just go on to the next thing <laughs> and, and I can file it. And it's and it's, you know, 
I, I know people, some people like closure. I sure do. I mean, it's like the game's over I'm, and I don't have to wear it, but the coach does players do. So I'm around people that do that do. So I might have to, you know, kind of commiserate with them a bit, but, but as a player, you really wear it. And that, you know, that, 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 the, the, the kind of the failure thing. And the, you know, it's just, that's a hard thing. So I don't miss that, but I miss what I really miss sitting in the bullpen for nine innings, telling stories, talking to people, getting relationships. I've, I've had some, had some really cool moments in the bullpen. One of them, one of them faith related that I, that I just brought up at our, at our church Bible study this week, where I had a teammate, Ray Burris, and we were in St. Louis in the bullpen. And I was grumbling about something, you know, I don't know what I, I mean, just in a, not in a good state for whatever reason, I was grouching about, grouchy about something. So, and he said, he said to me, he said, uh, he said, why do you like not being in God's will? And I, and I turned to him and I said, what are you talking about? So um, after the game, he did, he kind of let that sit too. And then he, he gave me a verse. He just gave me the verse, gave it to me, said, go read this. And said, you know, and of course it's, you know, be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so he basically saying, you know, stop whining and, 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 and be, and, and, and learn to develop a thankful and grateful heart. And this teammate of mine, Christian guy, I mean, I didn't really even know Ray that well. He was only with the Cardinals for a short time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that influence was still a thing I've never, I haven't forgotten. What was that, 1986? It's, you know, 38 years ago, I'm still feeling the result of him sharing that word with me and then me sharing it with a, a group of men from my church. And I just think that's such a cool, cool way that uh, the Holy Spirit works. Don't want to keep you too much longer. I want to be respectful of your time as we're visiting with uh, former big leaguer Rick Horton talking about his baseball journey, his his faith journey. But before we started recording, uh, you told me a pretty funny story about your playing days at, at Virginia, and, and uh, I want to share it because it happened at Clemson, uh, which I, I, I live outside of Clemson, and I was a, a Clemson broadcaster, did baseball there for seven years. This happened well before I was there. But um, just just share that story because I found that to be hilarious. Yeah, so I'm really good friends with Bill Bill Schroeder, who's a, been a broadcaster with the uh, Milwaukee Brewers for a long time. We played against each other in summer league, and uh, he was good friends with Mike Sullivan, who was another Clemson pitcher, who was a great number one pitcher. And, and he and I were buddies; we were teammates in in Cape Cod. So I got to know a lot of these Clemson guys: Billy Weems, Neil Simon. I mean, so, so I felt like, you know, I was kind of knew these guys well, and Bill loves to bring up the story of me pitching at Clemson. And there was uh it was actually Neil Simon who hit the home run. So it would have been 79, I think, and not 80, maybe 79. Uh, and, and he had a home run at Clemson. He pulled it down the right field line. The wind was blowing and the ball was literally 50 feet, maybe 75 feet foul. I mean, this was not even a, this was a no-brainer. Umpire calls it a home run. So Neil's running around the bases. We're all in disbelief. And so Bill loves to tell this story at, that, you know, the manager comes out and starts arguing with the umpire and saying, you cannot make that call. You cannot make that call. The odd thing is it wasn't my coach doing that. It was Bill Wilhelm of Clemson who was arguing with the umpire that he should not call the home run uh for his team and and bill's bill's line about it is and i don't think this was something he said out loud for us to hear but he said 
as, as typical back in the day of, of, of hiring your own umpires in ACC baseball, it was like, hey, you can give us some breaks, but that's too much. <laughs> that, was his, that was his line. It's like, you can't help him out. You can't help us out that too much. I've never seen a, a manager argue against his own outcome, like, but, but that happened at Clemson. Yeah, Bill Wilhelm uh, was long since retired by the time that I got there, and, and Jack Leggett, who has you know become a legend in his own right, was the – was the head coach at Clemson then, but I got to know Bill Wilhelm uh, a little bit during the the latter years of his life, and uh, I can see him doing that uh, yeah. based based on well, what I'd heard about him and, and what little bit I got to know about him personally. I I could see him doing that. Well, there's principle, you know. I think at some point, you know, principle wins out. I think. I mean, it's 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 one of the great things that can happen in sport. It doesn't. You don't see it all the time when principle principle kind of comes to the forefront and it becomes a very human experience that's demonstrated for the people around you. And it's not a, a guilt trip for people that don't do it or what, but it, it, it just makes us think about kind of perspective, maybe mm-hmm. uh, and not only principle, but also perspective of we're playing a baseball game here. Let's not, you know, let's not do the wrong thing. Let's do the right thing. And I, I think sports can bring that out both positively and negatively. Uh, and, it's what I kind of look for in the midst of a game. So as I'm broadcasting, I will talk about the fact that there are baseball moments and there are human moments. And, and for us to, to be able to talk about a human moment um, is, you know, it, it's a unique opportunity and you always want to get that one right. And, and, and I'm, and I'm thankful that uh, Bill Wellhelm was part of a, a story that we got right back in 1979. You know, I, I got to tell you, as we wrap up here, um, spending this time with you, and this is the first conversation you and I have ever had, you have thrown me into a serious state of conflict, Rick Horton. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Because, because I, you, I'm a, I'm you're a, gonna start rooting. You're going to start rooting for Virginia now? Is no, no, no. It, 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 goes, <laughs> it, it goes even deeper than that. I'm a lifetime Cincinnati Reds fan. Oh, how about that? So, you know, in, in Cincinnati, we don't think too much – of the Cardinals. And, and now, you know, you, you've got me at least interested in, in checking out a Cardinals broadcast to watch your work. Now I'm conflicted. I may have to go take a shower after we're done here. Well, I'm going to pass this along to Jeff Brantley too. I'm going to tell on you. I'm going to tell all my friends, friends with the Reds, but here, here's what, Dan, here's what we got. You can just join me in rooting against the Cubs and we can there, still be there happy There we go. The, the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Hey, um, when it's all said and done, what do you hope people say about Rick Horton? Well, I hope uh, I hope they say that he was he, he gave every effort he could be to be a man of God. That he was a Christian first and foremost. That he loved his wife. And there's no doubt about the fact that he loved his wife. He loved his kids and he loved his friends. And that uh, he uh, was diligent in what he did. He was uh, he was respected. I think that's a word that's important to me that, 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 that we respect his legacy and that, and that he was loyal to the, to, uh, to his people. And man, wouldn't we all like to be remembered that way? Just very, very thought provoking words from this week's guest, Rick Horton. We thank Rick again for his time. And I told him that I, I was feeling a little conflicted being a lifelong Cincinnati Reds fan and the Reds and Cardinals are in the same division. And as a Reds fan, I am contractually required not to like the St. Louis Cardinals. He made it a little more difficult to feel that way. Uh, I still don't like him, but I'll like the broadcast a little more. How about that? Good stuff from Rick Horton. We'll take a break and come back and get into our final segment in just a moment. 
Grand Slam Ministries exists to glorify Jesus Christ in multiple ways through this radio show and its accompanying online digital and video components through our sister websites, danscottshow.org and grandslamministries.org and through furthering our core missions, mentorship, and providing food and other necessities to children. None of this is possible without your prayers and support. By making a gift to Grand Slam Ministries today, you'll not only help with this program and keep it on this radio station, you'll help us grow our family of stations, allowing us to bring stories of God working in the lives of men and women everywhere to a larger audience. And at the same time, your gift will help us in the initial launch of those core mission programs. Grand Slam Ministries is in its infancy. We need your support. Will you help us today? Visit our website, grandslamministries.org, and prayerfully consider a one-time or monthly gift today. And above and beyond anything else, please pray for our ministry. Thank you, and God bless. Teenage boys and young men today are in crisis. Statistics show that a home without a father or male role model present is the single biggest indicator of poverty, behavior issues, drug and alcohol abuse, criminal activity, and yes, imprisonment. At Grand Slam Ministries, one of our core missions is developing a mentorship program to teach boys how to become strong Christian men and then teach those men to be the biblical husbands, fathers, and church and community leaders the Bible calls us to be. We need your prayers, we need your ideas, and we need your support. Visit our website, grandslamministries.org, to find out more about our mentorship mission and prayerfully consider how you may be able to assist us. Again, that website is grandslamministries.org. to put a wrap on things for this 60th edition of the show. Our thanks again to former big leaguer Rick Horton. And if you missed any of this, uh, it will be uh, archived at danscottshow.org on the Affiliates and Archives page or anywhere you get your podcast. You can just search Dan Scott Show and we will magically appear. We are just about everywhere, I can promise you. Hey, as we get ready to wrap it up, um, there have been some circumstances that have uh, happened in, in my life personally recently, uh, as you know, with, with the loss of our infant grandson. And then um, just a couple of weeks ago, the school uh, that I work in, in my regular job, Furman University, uh, we lost a, a football player uh, in a uh, just a, a tragic set of circumstances he, he was watching, was not even participating in a conditioning drill, was watching the drill and uh, had an episode that ultimately cost him his life. His name was Bryce Stanfield. He was 21 years old and was a, a redshirt junior. Uh, he passed away and uh, his um, uh, final services uh, for his family uh, in the Atlanta area were uh, last weekend. So still very raw for them. So pray for the Stanfield family, no matter where you are. You can imagine 
what they are going through right now. And what this has done for me, um, it, it's, it obviously makes you take stock of some things. You know, when it, when it happens to someone else, you, you, you feel bad about it, but it's almost like it happens. You go through what you have to go through, uh, and then you move on. But when it happens to your own family, like it did with us, and then your work family, like it has done, there's no getting beyond it quickly. You know, at some point you have to move on and start getting back to life. But this is something that lingers and it causes you, at least it's caused me, I can't speak for everybody else, it's caused me to take stock about some things. It has caused me to start really looking at priorities. And the, the, I think the number one thing that I have taken away from our grandson's loss and now the loss of Bryce Stanfield at Furman is that we simply don't know how much time we have left. We really don't know. You know, we say that all the time, but I think we all tend to look at our lives and the lives of our family and and our friends as as lives that are going to go for a long time. And we all not just hope, but I think we plan to live for a uh, to a ripe old age. And, um, you know, hopefully that's what's going to happen, not just to me, but everybody who's listening to the sound of my voice right now. But this has been a reminder that we're not guaranteed not only next month or next week or next year, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And that's why the Bible doesn't say anything about salvation being something you do down the road. The Bible says now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. So I would just encourage you, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, to really start considering that that's a decision you need to make sooner rather than later because we just don't know how much time we have left. And if you need someone to talk to, you need someone to bounce something off of, dan at danscottshow.org. That's my email address, and I promise you I will respond. That is all the time we have for today. Look forward to being back with you again next week for the next edition of our show. It'll be edition number 61 one week from today. Until then, you have a good one. I'm Dan Scott. God bless you. So long, everybody.